Listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a World Affairs Council conversation with authoritative voices discussing significant newsmaking issues and individuals. Sponsored by Greenberg Traurig, LLP. In most American households, the beginning of a teenager's independence starts figuratively, if not literally, with getting a driver's license at 16. In Saudi Arabia, young women do not have the same opportunity, but one day that will certainly change, and a major catalyst for this evolution is our Global IQ Minute guest, Manal Al-Sharif, who in 2011 ignited a campaign, Women to Drive, to get Saudi women behind the wheel. She was subsequently imprisoned for several days and now is still viewed with great suspicion by the Saudi government. Manal is the author of a book just published last week, Daring the Drive, A Saudi Women's Awakening. In fact, I might add, Oprah Winfrey says it's a book to read this summer. Welcome. It's just so great to have you here. Thank you, Jim, for having me in Dallas. While the attention of your work first came about because you dared to drive a car, I got the feeling that the real point of your campaign, especially now, is to highlight the discrimination and impact of Saudi Arabia's male guardianship system. Give our listeners an idea about how it touches so many aspects of life in Saudi Arabia. Do you know the term driving while black? Of course. We have the term driving while female. If you look at the civil rights movement in the U.S., all the things that the black people were banned from, today the Saudi women are banned from. We don't enter the buildings from the main doors, we enter from the back doors. We're segregated between the sexes, the men and women, everywhere, from mosques, from hospitals, from restaurants, public places, banks, schools. And women needs permission from a man, a special permission from a man. He's called the legal guardian. So everyone is assigned a legal guardian that has to give her permission to be citizen. So we're not considered full citizens in my country. We have to do everything through this man. And the guardian, change. So if I'm born, my guardian will be my father. If I get married, the guardianship system will move it to my husband. If I don't have a husband and I don't have a father, it could be even my adult son who's 18 years old. Because he's a boy, he can become my own guardian. And in your case, you were divorced. Yes. Now remarried, happily remarried. Thank you. But how was that when you were divorced? Who became your, your guardian? My father. I went back to my father. So I was working. I was paying the rent for my family house. But I couldn't, I couldn't process any papers without my father's permission. I had to fly every time to my hometown, ask my dad to go with me to the public office or the, the government office to renew my papers or do anything, really. You know, one of the things that I found fascinating about your book is how you really changed. And as you said, at about age 13, you became what you described as a radical Islamist. What led to that? So in Saudi Arabia, in the 80s and the 90s, we had this wave of radical Islam hitting the country. We had preaching that was happening everywhere, in the schools, in the mosques, and everywhere you go. There were leaflets giving away, preaching this, I would say, the ultra-conservative interpretation of the Islamic text that's called Wahhabi Salafi. In the 80s and the 90s, it was a huge hit, and they found it was appealing to the young or to the youth because we had all these wars going on in the Islamic world. Things really changed in 1979, didn't it? Yes, yeah. yes. So 79 was the year that things went backward. 79, there was a prize for the Islamists or the ultra-conservative Islamists, the jihadis. And those Islamists were led by a man called Jihayman who believes in the same things the Wahhabi Salafi believe in. He just wanted to put it in practice. 
So to make a point, he went to the Grand Mosque, which is the holiest shrine for Muslims in the world. And he locked all the gates and um, he had 120,000 pilgrimage in, in the mosque um, taken as hostages to make a stand and call for going back to the pure Islam and the literal interpretation of the Islamic texts. The Saudi government, the king, King Khalid, he was the fourth king of, the, of Saudi Arabia, he was traumatized. In Mecca, you cannot shoot a gun, you cannot have a war or have a heavy weaponry in Mecca. He had to get the approval from the ulama or the clerics. So we have a council of ulama. They're the advisors for the king when it comes to religious uh, uh, issues. He had to sit with them and he's like, I need the permission to use heavy weaponry to end the siege of Mecca. They had one condition, that you go back to the same thing he's calling for. They said, you are provoking two Muslims or the devout Muslims by moving the country to modernization. And he had to pay the price. The same man who was killed, they embraced his ideology. So that was really a step back in Saudi Arabia's history. Were your parents ultra-conservative at the time? Oh, this is the interesting thing. My mom got radicalized the last 10 years. So she never covered her face. Suddenly mom is asking me to cover my face. I was like, mom, you were not like this. What happened? I was the one who was policing everyone in the house. So the radicalization does exist until this day. Those radical Muslims still giving free access to the print shops to print the leaflets and books and spread them for free. And they get a lot of funding from people who believe that this is the true Islam and this is what we should Is that still happening today? Is that such an issue in the United States about whether or not the Saudi curriculum in the schools is preaching the sort of ultra-conservatism, infidel, and so forth? So after September 11, it was not only a trauma for the Americans, it was also for the Saudis because the whole society were divided with and against. And the government realized that 15 out of the hijackers were Saudis. There is something wrong here. The curriculum in the school, starting from 2001, started to change. They had to remove a lot of parts that but radicalized what is it youth. Now? So my son, I have to go through his books, and I have to make sure that he's not being taught the ideology of hate against the infidels. And infidels here means anyone who doesn't believe in the Wahhabi Salafi, including other Muslims who have different beliefs. So what are you seeing in your son's books? No, that's way different now. So we had oh, around 60% of our curriculum was Islamic studies, not anymore. And also I would call it the hate ideology is not being taught now in the schools. But the problem is not only the schools, because the Muslim establishment or the religious establishment in Saudi Arabia, they have a huge power. They have the sermon, the Friday sermons, and they still uh, have the power to influence the youth to embrace the radical views of Islam. And this is the one we're fighting. We want to be moderate Muslims because Saudi Arabia is the birthplace of Islam. You cannot promote the ideology of hate and get away with it. So what changed you from being ultra-conservative to now the woman I see who's not covered, who travels the world independently? It always felt wrong. I always, even when I was trying, to please everyone, to please God, to please the religious establishment, my society, my family. I was miserable, I wasn't happy, and I was feeling like something is wrong. Why it evolves everything in the text that we're taught, why it always revolves around controlling me as a woman? Why I'm looked at as the fruit of evil and the fruit of seduction? That, I think, made me look, because I didn't have access to information to answer these questions, and I was not allowed to answer these questions or ask these questions. But I would say education, internet, and reading books that were heavily censored in Saudi Arabia were not allowed. That opened my mind to the other interpretation of the Islamic texts. 
It seems as if Saudi Arabia, and especially with the former King, King Abdullah and now also with King Salman, there's a real effort mm -hmm. to slowly liberalize. And yet we're seeing that True. oil prices today are in the $44 range. So Saudi Arabia is facing budgetary challenges. True. Is Saudi Arabia a powder keg? What's a powder keg? Is, or is it at risk, the stability of the kingdom? Hopefully not. So I'm not a politician really to answer this question, but I can tell you from a Saudi citizen what I think. So the economical hardship that Saudi Arabia is going through now because of the low oil prices, because of the Yemen war, because of the unrest in the whole area in the Middle East and North Africa, is putting a lot of pressure on the Saudi government to present and embrace true reforms, not cosmetic reforms like we've seen before. And that means when you have 90% of your private sector is non-Saudis, when women are only 14% of your workforce, when you invest so much in their education and they come back home and they cannot find jobs, they're rethinking of the whole system, whether of the guardianship system and I would say this potential of women being a part of the workforce. So the government cannot the economists say if Saudi Arabia keeps spending the way they are without presenting real reforms, and I mean real reforms including political reforms, they will go bankrupt in four years. So there's really not an option. It is not an option anymore. So what are you Isn't doing now? You've got a best-selling book that just came I out. So. <laughs> what are your plans? How so do you keep the movement alive? This book took six years, by the way. The movement, uh, I'm giving all the sales of the book as an author. I'm giving it to support women in a movement called Drive for Freedom. Any woman living abroad wants to get her driver license. I'm going to ask her to send me the driver license when she gets it. With all the expenses, I'm going to cover that. That's fantastic. I notice you're wearing a blue bracelet with some Arabic letter. Oh, what's it say? I am my own guardian. I am my own guardian. So this is the movement that July 6th, it will be one year anniversary of this movement. And there's a picture of a car. The, the guardianship, yes, we used as a symbol of resistance. It's to, to stop the guardianship system in Saudi Arabia. Well, I want to thank you so much for being our guest on thank Global you. IQ Minute. It's a wonderful book, Daring to Drive, A Saudi Woman's Awakening by Manal al-Sharif. Certainly going to be a bestseller. Thank you for listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. Subscribe and rate Global IQ Minute on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. For information about a World Affairs Council in your community, visit worldaffairscouncils.org. Global IQ Minute is sponsored by Greenberg Traurig LLP, a global firm with 2,000 attorneys in 38 offices across the globe. Visit the firm at gtlaw.com.